Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Time for a bit of a season wrap-up show, Wes. And uh, I've got a list of questions here, and as this show is truly unscripted, I did not share them with you before we turned on the cameras here. I'm just going to start with this, and this is a this is a wide open. You can take this any direction you want to. I will give my thoughts as well. What will you remember most about the 2022 Green Bay Packers season? Uh, man, there's so many different ways you can go with this. Um, I'll do the old Dom Capers here. Let's start <laughs> with the positives. Uh, th- this team did not quit. Uh, they could have easily pitched the tent, uh, been done with the season. Right after Philadelphia, you know, at that point they'd lost then what was it, six of seven, Mike? I'm trying to remember. Seven what it was. of seven eight. Seven of eight. Yeah, seven of eight. Things were not going well. It was not looking promising to make the playoffs, and these guys kept themselves in it. They went and had a very gutsy performance down in Miami. Uh, they imposed their will on the Minnesota Vikings here at Lambeau Field. Uh, the ability to overcome some of the injuries, to overcome some of the inconsistency, and still stay together, I think is one of the big uh, hallmarks of this team and a testament to the job you know, that locker room did and also the coaching staff. Uh, and then on the other side of it, certainly the, the you know, inability to, to meet the expectations for this season is yeah. probably the lasting image just because – I don't think you and I – I'm not saying – I never take anything for granted, Mike. We've seen these seasons can go any sort of different ways. Look at the L.A. Rams. I didn't think – I'm guessing yeah. they didn't figure that this is how their year was going to go. No kidding. But I definitely thought this was for sure a playoff team. Yeah, me too. I thought this was a team that was going to contend in a wide-open NFC race, and the Packers couldn't get themselves into that dance early in the season – the offensive game just wasn't there. The passing game struggled. I, I, the, the running game wasn't as domineering as I thought it was going to be. And then defensively, as well as I thought the Packers played in the first half of the season, there was sort of that midseason lapse and, and kind of picked it back up at the end of the year. Uh, there, there are just When you look at the record at 8-9, and nine, I think it is a good reflection of the fact that Green Bay just was too inconsistent this year, and, and they kind of ended up being – it was reflected in that – in the win and loss column. Yeah, I echo those thoughts in terms of uh, I will remember that this team certainly did not quit, but uh, but that it also just it fell so far short of expectations based on where everyone, including us, thought the season was going to go. A couple of things that I will remember most about this season, more more so specific moments than than overarching that I'll share. One is that I will always remember the last play of the game in London, because I'm always going to wonder what might have happened had Aaron Rodgers not broken his thumb. And he, you know, he got that broken thumb on the Hail Mary attempt when that whole second half in London went sideways for the Packers. And, and uh, if that game doesn't come down to a Hail Mary attempt and that thumb is not broken, I'll always wonder uh, where this season might have gone. The other thing I'll, I will remember is the win in Christmas, the win on Christmas in Miami for a couple reasons. One, you coming back to the press box after doing pregame radio and telling me the story about making your way through the Hard Rock nightclub or whatever <laughs> that's buried somewhere in Hard Rock Stadium. And, uh, and the fact that you came to the press box and didn't spend the game in the nightclub, yeah, I appreciated that because we, we, we did have some work to do. Um, <laughs> but also just uh, walking out of that stadium 
walking out of that press box in Miami on Christmas after that big victory and sort of going, okay, like the playoffs are actually a realistic possibility. Like that was the moment for me. I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really want to, to buy into everything with so much that had to go right and so much that had to happen. Um, and, uh, and that weekend is kind of when it came together and, and the playoffs went from, you know, for, for a team that had been four and eight, went from being a total pipe dream to a very realistic possibility. And the Packers ended up uh, putting themselves uh, in that position. So the, the, the feeling, the feeling of uh, walking out of that press box in, in Miami on Christmas is something I'll remember because that was, that was the first really, truly uplifting feeling after a game that we had had really in quite some time yeah. going way back to, uh, to the beat, Pro- probably since the uh, walking out of uh, the press box in Tampa Bay yes. after the, after the two point victory, when the two point conversion was stopped and you felt, okay, Packers got a big road win here. You know, this, this is a good one. This will mean something as the season goes along. And that feeling didn't really come back. And at least for me until the win on Christmas, no, because be- until that day, everything was kind of by the skin of their teeth. I mean, yeah. you kind of forget that, you know, you got out of Chicago after being down nine points going into the fourth quarter against the Bears team that ultimately won three games. The Dallas game went right down to the wire. Like, it was such a a tight season. I mean, I was thinking about that in the fourth quarter of the Detroit game. I'm like, well, of course this is how this is going to go. Maybe not necessarily from the losing standpoint, but that it was going to come right down to those last 15 minutes because that's the way it was, yeah. absent basically one game the entire season for Green Bay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and it, it is funny. You go back and you think about that game in Christmas. You hope everything ends up being okay for Tua. Uh, but those the the three interceptions back to back to back, right. the way that right. the tide had finally shifted for Green Bay, you don't wish that for Tunga Vailoa at all in terms of the injury and the long-term implications of that. But it was the first time for Green Bay it felt like, okay, the floodgates had finally opened in their favor uh, as opposed to a lot of these games where they had a hard time taking the ball away early. Then when they did, they weren't scoring points off of it. That was the game where it was like, okay, Maybe Green Bay can do something with this. Yeah, yeah. All right, my next question. Do you have a favorite play or favorite moment from this season? The Christian Watson end around in Chicago. Uh, Because that was the one where it was like, got him, right? (laughs) It wasn't like a really good catch. It wasn't like a really good throw. It wasn't this big interception. It was a – it was one of those plays where they just caught the Bears with their pants down. Yeah. I mean, honestly. And unfortunately for Green Bay, they were on the receiving end of that a couple times this season. But in that specific instance, it went back in their favor. And as I was just talking about, when you lose 7 of 8, you come back in the fourth quarter to win that game and score, you know, however, what was it, 20? Eight, is 18-0 in the fourth quarter in Chicago, yeah. Th- those, were the, those were the turning point games. I think it also was another reminder of this is what this young man can really bring to this offense. I think when you're talking about us getting back for the offseason program in April and then in OTAs and minicamp, Christian Watson's going to be the big name yep. because that is the brightest star right now in this orbit for Green Bay. Yeah, absolutely. For me, and that one certainly ranks up there for me, although it doesn't because I was actually sick and covering that game from home. I was yeah. not in the press box with you in, uh, in Chicago for that one. The one for me is uh, is Keyshawn Nixon's 105-yard kickoff return for a touchdown because, and I had talked about this after the Vikings game, just that the the crescendo that was building with the crowd, where you had 
you know, first and goal in the one, second and goal in the one, third and goal in the one, and the defense gets makes that goal yes. line stand, gets the stop, and the Vikings kicked the field goal. The crowd was really into it with the way the defense had risen up in a difficult situation, and then Nixon takes the ensuing kickoff, huge hole up the middle of the field. We could see it from the press box. It was sort of like by the time he got to like the 30-yard line, it was like, oh, my goodness, like there's nobody going to stop him. Yeah. And uh, the fact, obviously, that broke a really long streak, you know, going back to 2011, Randall Cobb as far as a, a Packers player taking a kickoff return the distance and and all that and what it meant and, you know, setting really setting the stage for what became a big uh, a big blowout win and and setting things up for week 18. And, and how much grief all the DBs and everybody were giving Nixon for being tackled at the seven the week earlier. Yeah, the week before, the week before in Miami. It's yeah. very, yeah. I mean, Devin Hester did it all the time, but it's very rarely in the NFL do you see a guy have a 93-yard return or whatever it was and then come back the next week. It was like, so it's a lot of times those kickoff returns, they surprise you, right? You're not expecting them. And in this instance, it was almost when he got that return at the beginning of it, even before the hole opened, you're like, okay, Keyshawn Dixon, the way he's returning the ball, are we getting close here? Is this going to be it? And, yeah. and obviously he punched it in. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you for some various MVPs in different categories here. You get to pick first, and then I will have to yeah. pick somebody else. Um, your offensive MVP for the 2022 Packers. Aaron Jones. Uh, he was the most consistent player for them. And, Mike, the, when, when Aaron Jones produced, the Packers won football games. It's just the way this season went. I mean, I don't have the exact stats in front of me right now, but show me the games where he had over 100 total yards. Show me the games where he scored multiple touchdowns. He was the ultimate reflection of what this offense was doing. He finished the season with a career-high 1,112 receiving uh, rushing yards. Would have liked to have seen the passing game work out a little bit more for Green Bay in the backfield. They weren't as dynamic in that area as I thought they were going to be with the you know the pony and some of the stuff going into the season. But but certainly keep this in mind too, Mike. He averaged five point three yards per carry. Aaron Jones didn't have a carry individually over thirty six yards on the yeah. season. His ability just to run eight, nine, ten yards at a clip, uh, it was really a huge impact. I felt like on this offense again and he was a guy that was there for them every week yeah I agree wholeheartedly 100% with Aaron Jones as offensive MVP that would be my choice as well in order to pick somebody different I'm gonna say Christian Watson just because and I know he really was only a big part of things for half the season because of the injuries and and other things he dealt with early on but he changed Green Bay's offense yeah. when the, the, the season was clearly going south, not going anywhere. He changed things. He changed the way most defenses uh, had to defend Green Bay. I mean, that, that stretch of you know eight touchdowns over a span of four games, and I know the Packers even lost a couple of those games. You know, Tennessee and Philadelphia were a couple of games in, in that mix there. But eight touchdowns over four games from a rookie, I mean, it, it, it was absolutely unprecedented. And he, he completely changed – the tenor and the tone of how people felt about yep. the the Packers offense. So that, he so he would be my pick. That there. line Tunyon Robert Tunyon told me too after the game uh, against Detroit how he's like you know our offense kind of got going when Christian yeah. got back. Yeah, I, I think it's it's one sentence, but it really encapsulates how things went for them this yeah. season. Yeah, wholeheartedly. Defensive MVP. I mean, it's Jair. It, it has to be. I mean, he. He's a shutdown cornerback in every uh, sense of the word. For him to have five picks this year was big, too. I mean, he's a guy that yeah. doesn't typically get thrown at a lot. 
Um, he had to create some opportunities for himself throughout the course of the year. I thought he really improved his hands. There, there weren't as many drop picks as there were his first few seasons. I mean, he had five picks this year, the same amount as what he had his first four seasons, which I guess was more like three and a half, but still, you get the point. Yeah. Uh, a guy that got a big contract in the offseason, a guy that uh, welcomed the bright lights. You know, he put down the, the challenge there to Justin Jefferson and the Vikings. He met that challenge. Uh, I, I think the, the thing for Green Bay moving forward is finding even more ways to, to incorporate him into this defense. You know, I, 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 he's to the point now, Mike, the way I look at him, where it's like, you know how we talk about you build your offense around like your skill position players? It's almost getting to the point where it's like you want to build your defense around what Jair Alexander does best. And uh, I, I think that's something Green Bay is really going to have to consider this offseason. Yeah, that's a valid point. Um, absolutely. I, for me... My pick for defensive MVP is Preston Smith. And I say that, um, you know, no, he didn't have the, you know, dozen sacks that he had, you know, earlier with, uh, you know, with the other Smith bro previously in his time in Green Bay and all that. And, you know, I think he ended up missing, what was it, a, a million-dollar bonus in his contract by like one and a half sacks yep. or, or something like that. Like you did like with that. one and a half stories short. <laughs> yeah. Needed that playoff. But yeah, I need, didn't, quite, didn't quite get there. Um but the reason I say Preston Smith is because this defense, this defense was wildly inconsistent throughout the vast majority of the season. It had, even when the Packers were losing games, it had stretches in those games where it looked really, really good. And then suddenly things would turn and the defense would look like it was really, really struggling. I thought Preston Smith was the most consistent, most reliable, most dependable player on the defensive side of the ball. I remember... Watching from the press box in Philadelphia, one time he got out of his rushing lane and Jalen Hurts took off running. And that's one of the only times I can remember watching a play, either from the press box or looking on film, where I just went, wow, Preston got like way, out, way outside yeah. of himself there and the defense got hurt, right? You saw that with a lot of other players throughout the course of the season, and that one play in Philadelphia might be the only really glaring negative mistake I saw Preston Smith make all season, I thought, you know, he, he's become a leader on the defensive side of the ball, maybe not as, as vocal as some other guys, but a leader on the defensive side of the ball and, and just a rock-solid, dependable guy who I think uh, is going to be a big part of the, the foundation for this defense uh, still moving forward. Yeah, and, and you also remember what was asked of him after Week 9, right? Uh, that was the biggest uh, travesty of this whole thing is we didn't get to see what him and Rashawn Gary could do right. in tandem. Yeah, we only got a half season of that. But when Gary goes down, it I, with all due respect to Kingsley Inigbari, Jonathan Garvin, and eventually Justin Hollins come in, it was Preston. Like yep. it, Everybody is going to look at their pass rush uh, challenges on a week-to-week basis and plan for that being the top edge rusher. Uh, and if you think about it for so long, he was always the complimentary, consistent guy that's playing off another pass rusher. Well, this year, the Packers didn't have that benefit, and I thought he actually brought his game up to another level, was more impactful during the second half of the season when Gary wasn't available. So uh, uh, certainly an accountable player that uh, is going to be a part of this thing for years to come now in Green Bay. Yeah. All right, now you can't pick the obvious, which is Keyshawn Nixon, but who's your special teams MVP, aside from Nixon, who is you know clearly the obvious choice here. But So this is like picking, you know, MVP number two on special teams. You know what's funny? Can I just make one little comment about Nixon before we do that? It's if we were really picking one, Keyshawn Nixon's obviously it, but yeah. everybody's going to talk about the kickoff returner thing. Keyshawn Nixon, what him and Rudy Ford brought as flyers the first two months of the season, yeah. 
that changed the tenor of Packers punt coverage. Yeah. There were a lot of years there where if the punter is not placing the ball correctly, there's a big opportunity for a return there. I thought both of those guys, they gave them no room to, to operate within. All that being said. Yeah, that, that, that was that, those two guys in, that pos, in those positions and what they were doing was, uh, was a big part of the culture change yes. on special teams, I think is what you're getting. A hundred percent. My guy is going to actually be Dallin Levitt, though, the other guy they brought in last year. Now, Levitt was not without flaw as a player this season, but it was that conversation I had with Kenny Clark mentioning how him and Nixon, they changed the culture of special teams. You saw it so many times this year, Mike, the way that Levitt approached coverage teams, the way he approached some of those grittier aspects of this thing, guys, like he, he approached that phase of the game like it was the offense at the 20-yard line with two minutes to go and, and you got to punch this thing. And he approached yeah. it like a defense on the goal line. He had an energy level at that position that I thought helped bring along your, your Tariq Carpenters, your Innes Gaines, your Isaiah McDuffie's who ended up leading the Packers in coverage tackles this year. Yeah. You bring in a, a guy, you know, so many different players uh, throughout the course of this year that, that ended up making an impact. And uh, I, I thought it really started with them bringing in Lavette right before the beginning of training camp. Yeah, my pick, my pick in this category, obviously not being able to pick Nixon, I certainly like Levitt as a choice as well. This is going to be kind of an odd pick, but I'm going to pick oh. Pat O'Donnell. Oh, I say Jack Coco. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to pick Pat O'Donnell, and it's not because he had you know a Pro Bowl season as a punter. Um, you know, he was certainly solid. There weren't any you know major issues in the punting game by any means. But I felt like Pat O'Donnell was the guy, maybe more than anybody else between the white lines, who settled everything down with the field goal operation and how everything had gone so wrong with the field goal operation in 2021. There weren't those issues in 2022, and it seemed almost from the very beginning of the season with O'Donnell as the holder, experienced guy, done it for eight years in Chicago or whatever it was, and he Pat O'Donnell helped get Mason Crosby back to being Mason Crosby and not the guy we saw in 2022 that you could tell was was rattled and bothered by all of the issues that were going on with uh, with the operation as a whole. So um, again, you know, the I, I thought I thought what I thought what O'Donnell did just as a just as a calming presence in in that area was uh, was really impactful. And 24 punts inside the 20 this year too uh, for him. There weren't the typical kind of shanks that have been sort of plaguing Green Bay. I mean they they were able to win the field position battle a lot of times because of what him and the Flyers were doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, last one uh, of this type for you. And again, this is where you don't get to pick Christian Watson because he's the obvious choice, Rookie of the Year. probably the quietest it's ever gotten on uh Packers unscripted <laughs> like I said I didn't I, di I didn't give you it's I didn't give you the categories ahead of because time. it's easy to say Quay Walker it's very easy to say Quay Walker but I want to give a special acknowledgement to Romeo Dobbs in this in this chance because okay. while Dobbs coming back from the ankle injury was tough that first month of the season, Romeo Dobbs had to be a lot more veteran of a player than what Green Bay really had ever asked from a rookie. Alan Lazard was dealing with the ankle, and even you know you had you had you know Sammy Watkins ends up pulling the the hamstring. 
they really leaned on Romeo Dobbs the first two months of the year. And that, that performance he had in Tampa Bay, Michael, the Green Bay, if he doesn't have three catches for 73 yards in that touchdown early, Packers probably don't win that game. Yeah, I would agree. He, I think, is just his consistency level. I, I think there was probably that rookie wall a little bit he hit. The ankle did not help in, in Detroit. Yeah, I mean, he ended up missing a solid month. of, and, and, and that's the thing when you're talking about rookies, too. It's not just missing a month of games. It's missing all those practice reps yes. along the way as well. Romeo Dobbs, to me, did not look like the same player when he came back from the ankle injury as the one we saw before because what I will remember most – about Dobbs' rookie season were those two catches in Buffalo. And I know that that game ended up in a loss. Those two catches, the one in the end zone, which was actually right below us where the press box was in Buffalo, we had a tremendous view of that touchdown catch. And then the other one that was along the far sideline, those are the types of plays that you just kind of go, wow, this yeah. is this is a rookie playing on the road in a primetime game, and he's able to do something like that. And again, unfortunately, he wasn't really the same guy after the uh, ankle injury when he came back, but I still think there's a lot of promise there with uh, with Romeo. Totally. And and also, and credit goes, again, and you might talk about him, but you know, Quay Walker, the way he came out and played as a first-round pick, the thing was, though, is he did have Devondre with him there at the beginning. There were a lot of stretches where Romeo Dobbs, I mean, it was him and Samori Toure, like these young guys had to play a lot more than what I thought they were going to. I thought it was going to be Lazard, Watkins and Cobb for the first, you know, two months of the year. And then you start bringing along the rookies. The rookies had to play. And and I was impressed by the fact that Dobbs didn't turn away from that. Yeah. And I'm going to take this opportunity as far as picking a rookie of the year to, uh, to give a shout out to another young man. And that's Zach Tom on the, yeah, that's a good one too. You know, the, uh, the, the fourth round pick, fourth round pick out of Wake Forest, the Packers asked him to, the Packers asked him to play, pretty much anywhere on the offensive line except center. I yeah. think, you know, he didn't play. And he that. was the backup there. Yeah, he didn't play. He didn't play that in a game, but but he did have to be the uh, the backup to Josh Myers there. And and just so many times, and we talked about it on this show at different times during the year, that he, that he was thrown in kind of unannounced because of an injury or because of, you know, the example of, uh, of David Bakhtiari being a late, you know, late game scratch or, uh, you know, last minute scratch for the game Washington. out in, out in Washington. Um, Zach Tom, Zach, the versatility is a big buzzword that you hear, especially at draft time. And it was, and, and it surrounds a lot of offensive linemen that the Packers draft. And this young man lived up to it in his rookie year, doing everything that the Packers asked him to do. And I think he can, he, he, he's potentially wherever they decide to play him, wherever he settles in, you know, as, as more of a full-time player somewhere down the road, I think uh, Zach Tom has a chance to be a really, really big part of the foundation of this offensive line going forward. He's a young man who's already proven a lot um, in a, in a rookie season in which he wasn't really a full-time starter. I just love his footwork. I love his balance. I love his poise. Uh, the only thing as Aaron Rodgers said, mid season, I mean, it's just, he just needs to get on a little bit more weight, Yeah. which knowing the NFL, and he certainly looks like he has wrong. the body to be able to, he does. You know, to he's a to tall kid to add to that. Yeah. But it just, it was the, the playing left tackle after they planned the whole week of, okay, Yash is finally going to be a right tackle in Washington. And then you don't have Dave. So he has to play left tackle. You look even last week, he goes in at right tackle these last couple of games because of the stinger that Yash Nyman was dealing with. He never blinked in any of those instances, and I think that bodes really well for that young man's upside. Yeah, well, I want to shift gears here in a minute, 
But before that, some sponsor business here, Wes. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl, Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. Can I do one last stat really fast? I, I was just yeah. looking over the stat pages. Keyshawn Nixon had 11 punt returns this year. He didn't fair catch one. Well, of course not. He, he went course. 11 for 11 on punt returns. With, with, no, with no fair catches. No, not one not a, catch. Not a one of them. I that, love that. That, 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 that. that statistic, probably more than the kickoff return yards and the 50-plus returns on kickoffs, all those that he had, that statistic probably tells you more about Keyshawn Nixon than, than anything else. 11 punt returns, not a single fair catch. Oh, sorry. I That's a good one. That. No, I like that. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, before we go, I do want to get your thoughts on Wild Card Weekend and the NFL playoffs. Ah, who cares? <laughs> Come on, Wes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, let's talk about Geno Smith. Well, that, that, was, that was where I was going to start. <laughs> the two games on Saturday, Seattle at San Francisco, Chargers at Jaguars. The second one, far more compelling to me, uh, Justin Herbert against Trevor Lawrence yeah. in a playoff game. Both of these young quarterbacks making their playoff debuts. If I'm not mistaken, Herbert's hasn't been in the playoffs yet, has he? No, because they got beat. Because they the they lost game. the one to the Raiders yeah. uh, at yep. the, at the end of the the season last year, so that that young quarterback matchup is uh, um, is as good as it gets. As far as Seattle at San Francisco, you know, I think I said this on our last show. The way things turned out. Um, I really wish the Detroit Lions were going to San Francisco because I'd be just interested to see what a Lions team that finished the season 8-2 and two in their last 10 games might be able to do against a Niners team that's won 10 straight and is absolutely on a roll here heading into the postseason. I am with you 100% on that, but I actually take the opposite view on this with Seattle. I'm really excited Seattle made it because while they kind of faded late where the Lions got on this big resurgence – the Seahawks were the better team throughout the course of the year from week one to week 17. That's true. 18. And, and it's not just that. It's the fact that Kenneth Walker, you know, is an offensive player of the year or rookie of the year candidate. Right. And the fact that Geno Smith threw for 4,000 yards at 100 passer rating. You and I, Mike, if you go back, I don't know if it was the bye week episode or when we talked about it, but we were asking, you know, is he going to be able to stay on this track here? Is he going to be able to keep this up? He did. He put it together for an entire season. And I love these stories. Because this is what makes the NFL great. There are so many times where you, you'll see a veteran quarterback or you'll see a veteran player. He kind of sticks around and sticks around. And you're like, how is this guy still here? How is he still doing this? Mike, do you remember some of the narratives around Geno Smith when he'd have to go in <laughs> when Russell Wilson was down? A lot of people said some pretty nasty things about him. Yeah. When they made the decision to trade him, a lot of people are like, seriously, you're going to the season with Drew Locke and Geno Smith? Are you guys crazy? And he proved him wrong. And the fact that it's Seattle, who was the front runner in the NFC West to start this year, versus the, the San Francisco 49ers that finished the way they did, I'm actually really excited for that matchup. And, and again, I don't know what the ratings are going to be Saturday night. I don't know how many people are paying attention to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know. They were f a fun football team to watch this season. A little bit I got to see them. Yeah. Christian Kirk, I will keep saying it over and over again, I was 190% wrong on him in their decision to sign him and give him the money they did. Uh, Doug, Flute, or Doug Flutie, Doug Peterson, dude, I, again, 
Anytime you think that the head coach doesn't matter in the National Football League, look at what the Jacksonville Jaguars did this year. It was a big, big reminder of what head coaches can do. Yeah, the little bit that I got to watch the Jacksonville Jaguars this year, I was really, really impressed with uh, Trevor Lawrence's arm and, and his fearlessness. Like yeah. this, I mean, this kid lets it rip, as as the old saying goes. And and quite frankly, it is reminiscent to me of what. I started to see with Justin Herbert in the Chargers last year, a young quarterback yes. with a really good arm who was not afraid to let it fly. I mean, and that that's uh, I, I think that's a really, and, really intriguing young quarterback matchup for opening round of the postseason. And credit to Peterson, man. The thing that I think was one of his undoings in Philadelphia, he corrected it in Jacksonville. They have Travis Etienne. They fed Travis Etienne. Yeah. James Robinson was traded. They didn't screw around with it. They said, this is our running back. And you're seeing how those two guys, those two Clemson dudes, have really played off of each other. Yeah. Three games on Sunday, Miami at Buffalo, Giants at Vikings, Baltimore at Cincinnati. Um, it's hard for me to picture Miami since Tua is not back and they have to go with Skylar Thompson. It's hard for me to picture Miami giving Buffalo much of a game. Shout out, though, hearing the news that Micah Hyde was back at practice. Um, they've opened the window for him to potentially be activated off of injured reserve that, that either maybe divisional round, or if the, if the, uh, Buffalo bills can advance to the AFC championship, there's a chance that Micah Hyde could actually return this season. That kind of, I mean, it, 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 you know, fills my heart with some joy. We both, we both have our uh, affinity for Micah and, and his time well, here. And then, um, but uh, DeMar, but just, just incredible news out of Buffalo, along with, of course, that DeMar Hamlin has yeah. been released from the hospital and now gets to continue his rehab at home. Yeah, and DeMar Hamlin, certainly we continue to think about him and, and send positive vibes his way. But you kind of forget that, I mean, Micah had a pretty bad neck injury too earlier this year. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the original wake-up call. They've, the Bills have taken so many hits at the safety position. Poyer has been playing through some stuff too. So we'll see if he plays or not. I don't know how that's going to work out. But but the fact that I, I was worried when that injury happened, Micah was going to be done-done. So, I mean, to even have him potentially come back this season, that's pretty yeah. incredible. Well, the Giants and the Vikings, they played a – back and forth down to the wire game on Christmas Eve, one that we were watching on our yeah. little TV screens on the flight to uh, on the flight to Miami. Came down to that 61-yard field goal by Greg Joseph at the wire for the Vikings to win it. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to think of this, you know, rematch and being so soon after uh, after the first matchup um, being really much different. This this just feels to me like a back and forth game. That's, that's probably going to come down to the last possession. Yeah. And I think it's going to come down to Daniel Jones too. Uh, if he protects the football, I think the giants have a really good shot in this one. If he doesn't, if my, if Minnesota's defense makes plays, it's going to be a tough, tough afternoon. Um, here, the thing that this is kind of dovetailing to something I don't want to talk about because we don't have the time to talk about it, but probably one of my main criticisms with the 17 game schedule now, um, is the fact that we're getting a lot of these rematches, and some of them were just played, right? Yeah, like, and, the, and the next one, Baltimore and Cincinnati, just played last week. They're divi division rivals. In um, division rivals, and of course, you know, week 18 or you know, regular season finales for a long time now have been division games. And so then, if the playoff seeding works out where you have a division champ and a wild card, and you know, they end up meeting again right away. Yeah. And, and like Dallas and Tampa, even though they're not in the same division, it feels like they've played each other 48 times the last two seasons. <laughs> uh, 
again, I don't want to turn into that kind of debate, but that, that is my only thing. I remember when, you know, when you had the 12-team one, you'd get some really interesting matchups. You'd get the Packers uh, in Philadelphia that you didn't see every day. You'd get Packers in Atlanta. So th- that's the one downside of this. But um, all that being said, uh, certainly for the Minnesota Vikings, feeling a little bit better about themselves after the Bears win. Got to see what uh, they can do against the Giants. Yeah, Baltimore and Cincinnati, it's hard. I mean, it, the, the news is not sounding good for Lamar Jackson being able to come back. And while Tyler Huntley is is probably one of the better, if not the best backup quarterback. Um, Especially with their in, scheme. In, yeah, in, uh, you know, in, in the league, he's, you know, Baltimore Baltimore is going to be in this game. But, but for all the attention that's been on Buffalo and Kansas City and the AFC, and rightfully so, Cincinnati's been playing some pretty darn good football down the stretch and I think the Bengals are going to be a really really tough out in the AFC and and if the if the Ravens don't have Lamar Jackson um I think uh it's hard for me to see the the Bengals losing that game Ravens got to stop the run if they stop the run uh and not and not allow them to kind of just get into their type of offense they have a chance if you see Joe Mixon going off a little bit here that's when the you know chase stuff starts to happen that's when the Higgins stuff starts to happen yeah Monday night Dallas at Tampa Bay um, you know, a few weeks ago, this is what was looking like was going to be, you know, the five, the five versus four matchup. And, and it looked like, uh, you know, Dallas would be, um, you know, would, would be everybody's pick to win. I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, I still think the Cowboys are going to win this game, but, uh, but that, that Dallas defense didn't look so good against Gardner Minshew when he took over for Jalen Hurts and, you know, the, the game against Philly a few weeks ago. And then I don't know what to make of Dallas's performance last week. I mean, were they really trying to win that game? They, they were playing their guys, but yet you look at you look at how that game went and Washington was playing Sam Howell at quarterback. I don't know what to make of the Cowboys right now. I just don't. And, and, and maybe I'm Maybe you know. Maybe I should just say you know what? It's the postseason. No. Everybody's zero and zero yeah. move forward. But um, no, what you're saying is valid. I, you can't go half measure in these things. I think I learned that last year with Detroit and Green Bay. Either you're playing or you're not playing. Yeah. Just figure that part of it out. Uh, to me, that looked like a Cowboys team that knew they had nothing to play for in that game. Didn't yeah, want to maybe get hurt. Yeah, they 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 kind of knew that Philly was going to win and win the division mm-hmm. because the Giants were resting their guys because the Giants were locked into the sixth seed. So they it was like yeah they they assumed they assumed that Philly was going to win, so they were going to be the five seed. But yet they were still playing their guys, and it's like you say either either you play or you don't play, right? And the, and it that whole that whole situation was just strange. The problem for Tampa is I think it's a really difficult matchup too uh, for them, just with you know the fact that they can't run the ball at all. Tom Brady had the quietest forty six hundred yard passing year I think maybe the Matt <laughs> Schaub year in Houston. I mean I don't yeah, remember that, yeah. a year like this where wait he threw for almost 4,700 yards, but I just feel like if you neutralize those weapons uh, outside, even as bad as Dallas played last week, you should still win this game. Yeah, I would think so. Not saying they will. I'm just saying they should. Yeah. Last thing before we go, who do you think? What's your Super Bowl matchup? Who against whom? What do you got? All right, I, I've gone back and forth on Buffalo, but I, I really feel like the Hamlin thing is going to push them forward. I feel like they've learned some stuff offensively. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the Eagles and the and the Bills. I, I think Eagles the Eagles are the best team in a a uh, imperfect NFC, and 
if Jalen Hurts puts the shoulder behind him, if he really is okay in that regard, I just think that they have enough weapons to kind of – there's like a lot of gnats, right, yeah. in, in the NFC. You just kind of kind of swap them all away. If you do that, you'll be fine. Um, I, I think that's probably the matchup. My matchup is gonna is Buffalo and San Francisco. I said weeks ago that I thought the 49ers were, were the best team in the NFC. They were playing like it, and it doesn't seem like a whole lot has changed, even with Brock Purdy taking over at quarterback. The Eagles getting Jalen Hurts back certainly makes me pause, but I'm just not sold on I'm just not sold on Philadelphia's defense based on what I saw against the Packers, based on what I saw against the Cowboys. So I'm going to go with San Francisco, even with the rookie seventh-round pick, the whole Mr. Irrelevant thing at quarterback. I think the Niners, I think it's uh, Niners and Bills in the Super Bowl. If you are picking the Niners to make the Super Bowl, I'm going to throw you with an extra question. They make the Super Bowl, maybe even they win the Super Bowl as Brock Purdy, then you're starting quarterback moving forward. Probably not. Yeah, it's probably a Nick Foles not. kind of deal. Yeah, it's it's a Nick Foles, it's a Jeff Hostetler. I know that's probably too young for No, you, I know but... Jeff Hostetler. Okay. Were you not that, even, not that well, young. Were, you weren't able to watch that Super Bowl, were you? You weren't. You weren't. No, but oh, I had pro set okay. trading cards. Okay, but yes, I think <laughs> I, I to answer to answer your question, I think I think it becomes one of those types of situations. I don't think they just turn the keys over to Brock. Wonder Purdy. how long that leash is next year for Trey Lance. Though. Yeah, no, it that that's that's a valid question. Yeah, very valid question. This All is right. fun. All right, it has been fun. With that, we will sign off on this edition of. Packers unscripted and actually we will be signing off somewhat indefinitely we're calling this our 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 season wrap-up here and just as the show is unscripted our return will be somewhat unscheduled it may happen because of breaking news it may happen because of other events going on we will just have to see we're like your in-laws we just sort of pop up yeah we may during the during the off season we may just we may just pop into your uh, computer screens or into your uh, earbuds at random times but want to say thank you to everyone for for watching for listening all season long we really appreciate the audience that we have for wes i am mike thanks to all of you and we will see you next time